minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Well, 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 Wonderland. Wonderland. Budget 2021 corporate Wonderland, singing the rain, Gene Kelly style. You wonder what this is all about? No, we will talk about the budget and we will delve behind the figures. Well, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But this is the Anarchist World this week. If you wonder what Anarchy is all about, very simple concept, anarchos without rulers. That's it, without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. And the question you ask yourself after that is, how do you create a society without rulers? So you look at what gives a ruler the ability to impose their will on other people. Simple, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power or devolve power. You can do that possibly through direct democratic means. And it is the struggle to hold wealth in common. So if you're involved in the struggle to share power and whole wealth in common, I've got some bad news and it's worse than COVID-19. Whether you like it it or not, you are marked with the mark of Cain. You are an anarchist. You will not grow a tail or horns, but you will be a much happier person. So that's what anarchy is all about. Anarchos, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You become involved in the struggle to share power and share wealth. Now, look, let's get the budget over and done with because it's really not much of a document, although the uh, other media outlets, and I don't use the word, we're not alternative media, we're the media here at the Anarchist World this week. They're the alternative media because they sing out of one songbook. We sing out of two, sometimes three. So the budget is... Nothing more than a corporate wonderland, when you think about it. Now, this country, over the last four decades, has moved into what we call a corporate phase. What that means is that most uh, major activities are dominated by a small number of corporations, whether it's healthcare, private healthcare, private aged care, private education, preschool, uh, childcare, and the list goes on and on. They're dominated by a number of small corporations. And what has happened over the last 40 years is most of the small players have been pushed to the side and marginalised. So when we talk about, you know, 17 billion over four years going into aged care and 2.3 billion going into mental health care and so many billions going here and so many billions going there, the key is not to look at the amount of money which is going into these areas, but to look at who is going to provide those services. 
And if you look at aged care and COVID-19 and the Royal Commission into aged care highlighted the gross shortcomings in the aged care system and most of those shortcomings can be put down to the fact that aged care was privatised by the Howard government about 15 to 20 years ago, privatised. And the major players in the aged care industry, and it is an industry, let's not talk about it's an industry where you make money in two ways if you're a private provider. You need to make profits for your shareholders or your company if it's you know if you own it yourself. And you make profits by squeezing the workers and decreasing services to your clients. That's what privatisation is about. Now, when we talk about $17.1 billion going into aged care over the next three to four years, as well, you know, and even into the home packages, 80,000 home packages, what we are seeing is taxpayers' money being directly diverted into the pockets of major corporations to provide inadequate service. Because 40 cents, 40 cents in every dollar, put it this way. If I gave you $100 and I took $40 away, you'd have $60 back left and you wouldn't be very happy. Well, this is what happens every time we see a private corporation deliver services on behalf of the government. And that's what this is about. When they talk about $2.3 billion to mental health services, they're not talking about providing state-run, state-based mental health services. They're talking about outsourcing those services to the private sector. We see the fiasco that's occurring in the National Disability Insurance Scheme. We've got billions of dollars going into the pockets of private providers, and in many cases, corporate private providers. Look at the child care industry. Look at what organisations dominate the child care industry, and you'll find that 80% of child care is dominated by five to six large corporations, some publicly listed, some not publicly listed. So Budget 2021, although it may seem generous in certain aspects, is nothing more than a gift to the corporate sector. It is a corporate wonderland. You'd have all these executives and CEOs rubbing their hands in glee, thinking we now have a direct expressway to the Treasury. And that's what Budget 2021 is. It is a direct expressway to the Treasury. And what is the Treasury? The Treasury is the taxes which are levied by the government on the people of this country to provide services for the people of this country. That's right. That's what taxes are. There's personal income tax, which provides about 40% of taxation revenue. Company tax, about 19 to 20% of uh, revenue. There's GST, which is 10 to 12% of you know revenue. There's customs, excise, duties, and the list goes on and on. And obviously the government has about a trillion dollars you know, to play with, about 550 from the taxation revenue and the rest from other sources of revenue. So when we see this government say, there is 17 you know 15 billion for infrastructure it is a gift it is a gift to the corporate sector in the majority of cases not all cases but in the majority of cases they are the ones that do well look at the private hospital system 
Look at the private hospital system. Look at the organisations who dominate the private hospital system. Again, what you, you know, large corporations. Look at aged care, large corporations. Look at early childhood development, they call it. Large corporations. And how do they survive? By having a highway which leads directly into the Treasury. They can send their trucks down, load up the trucks, say they're going to provide a wonderful service for the people of this country. And on the way to providing that service, they stop the tip truck and offload 40%. That's right, 40% of, of the money that the Treasury, which is you, has given them to provide those services. Now, everybody says that public services are inefficient. Well, there is nothing more inefficient than providing essential services through the private sector, especially a corporatized private sector. As we know, capitalism is about private investment for private profit. We're not talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of small businesses, you know, reaping money. We're talking about the large corporations reaping the majority of the money. For example, food distribution, four to, th- four to five large corporations dominate about 85% of the market. Healthcare, about three large corporations dominate over 80% of the market. And the list goes on and on. So budget 2021 is a gift. It is a gift to the corporate sector. It's about all about outsourcing. And if you want to know how wonderful outsourcing is, look at the disasters which occurred with uh, hotel quarantine. Look at the slow rollout of the uh, COVID-19 vaccinations. Look at the disastrous, abysmal state of aged care, especially that that section of the aged care industry which is owned by the private sector, and the list goes on and on. So if you're singing in the rain... You must be a corporate CEO because the rest of us are drowning. That's right. So budget 2021, corporate wonderland. Think of it that way. Think of where the money is going. Think about who is going to provide the services and you will understand the nature of this budget. This is a pre-election budget. So we've uh, we've got an election campaign based on two Concepts, And I spoke about one last week, the yellow peril. And now it's about giving the population the illusion that or creating an illusion that the government of the day actually cares about Australians. Think about it. The single most important issue facing Australians is having a roof over their heads for an affordable price. Single most important concept. What was in this budget to provide a roof over their people's people's heads? Nothing. Where was the money which was being allocated to create public housing, which can be secure housing for 25% of your Income, irrespective of what your income is. Where are the billions of dollars being channelled into public housing? We don't see that. All we see is 
little things happening to bolster the private sector and increase housing prices and rents. That's all we see. A strong public housing sector, a strong public housing sector puts downward pressure on house prices and rents. That's why they don't want a strong public housing sector. That's why governments, especially the Victorian state government, has embarked on this orgy of privatisation of the public housing sector in order to wash its hands of its responsibility to provide shelter for people who cannot afford, an increasing number of people who cannot afford to get into the private housing market. So think about it. Where are those initiatives which would help people? I mean, they talk about initiatives to, for, for job training. They talk about initiatives for this or that. All that money goes to the private sector. Whether they provide job training or not is a different matter. Whether they produce people that are adequately trained at the end of that so-called training is a different matter. So Budget 2021, corporate wonderland. Nothing there will fundamentally help most Australians. Brilliant job of publicising and leaking every major uh, element in the budget. Brilliant job, brilliant job. But in terms of substance, in terms of delivery, it's all about outsourcing to a few dozen corporations. That's all it is. Corporate Wonderland 2021. Now, look, I don't like saying this on public radio. It's not pleasant to say this. Well, I should say community radio. This isn't public radio. This is not the Government Guild at ABC. This is community radio, and we're broadcasting across Australia, courtesy of the community radio network around the country, north to south, east and west, radio stations, community radio stations in every state and territory in this country. That's the anarchist world this week. And I don't like saying this on community radio, but I think I don't think the Prime Minister is very smart. Not that you need to be smart to be a Prime Minister. I don't think he's a very simple man. Uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Look, I think he's lying. You know, I hate to say this. You know, it's not good. Because I don't think he's stupid. You know, you can't be stupid and be Prime Minister. You know, you've got to be a bit... You've got to know the arts of Machiavelli to get to become Prime Minister. And uh, I'm sure he's an exceptionally smart man, being an ad- advertising executive in the past. But he's forgotten about the one in seven ratio. He looks at us straight in the eye. Well, he looks at you straight in the eye. I try not to look at him. I don't want to get sick during the day. But he looks at you straight in the eye and he says, it is our government's policies which have led to this post-COVID recovery. Our government policies which have created all these jobs. Now, look. You're simple, I'm simple. I'm even more simple than anybody listening to this program. We're, we're stupid people, you know. We, we don't know much. But I do, I can count to seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now, where am I going with this? Very simple. Before COVID-19 broke across the world, one in seven Australian workers was on a temporary work visa. 
one in seven. It was government policy to bring people across to this country, and I have no problem with the people coming across. Obviously, they're just doing what is lawful. But it was government policy to bring cheap, non-unionised labour into this country to put downward pressure on wages, which it succeeded in doing brilliantly, and put pressure on trade unions, which it succeeded on doing brilliantly, both for a legislative uh, agenda and both by denying them the ability to organise legally. So one in seven Australian workers before the borders was closed was on a temporary work visa. Now, many of these people have gone home, many have stayed. The increase in jobs which has occurred has occurred because we don't have people coming across, except in very limited circumstances, coming across on temporary work visas. It's not because of government policy. It's because the Ponzi scheme on which this nation is based on, which is immigration, is currently out of commission. The engine has broken down. The borders are closed. You can't get out, you can't get in. That's for the majority of people. So that is the issue. That's why we have people in this country who have relied on non-unionised, lowly paid workers on temporary work visas screaming out for labour, wanting the borders to be reopened. Because that supply of cheap labour has dried up. And they may have to do something which is a bit radical. They may have to offer improved wages and conditions to Australians, people living in this country currently, you know, people on temporary work visas, people who are permanent residents, people who are citizens. Maybe they need to offer them a little bit more of the cake in order to get them to work in those industries. And they're not willing to do that. Because, most importantly of all, the single most important thing that has happened in Australia in the past 40 years, and yes, I'm going to use the magic four, the four musketeers, corporatisation, privatisation, globalisation and deregulation during that era, is that the amount of money or resources which fall into the hands of the people doing the work, not investing the money, but doing the work, not investors, but those doing the work to create the profit, has flipped. Forty years ago, if you invested a dollar and your business was successful, you'd expect to receive a return of about 30%. For every dollar you invested, you got a 30% return. Forty years later, the figures are diametrically opposed. If you invest a dollar you expect to get 65 70% back. That's right. The investor now gets twice as much as the person performing the labour to create the profit for the investor. And that's happened because of all the policies that have been put in place by successive governments, both Labour and Liberal, that have allowed the whip 
which the employer has to get bigger and bigger and bigger and have a longer and longer reach. So now, so we are in a very interesting phase in this country. And the fact that the budget has been designed in a manner that that accepts the borders will be closed to the majority of people for the, till the middle of next year means that we have a once-in-a-lifetime, you like that? Once-in-a-lifetime chance to fight back, to demand higher wages, to demand better conditions. You want our labour, you want us to create profits for you, well, then you need to give us a bigger slice of the cake. So, So what do the Black Plague and COVID-19 have in common? Very simply, when the plague swept across Europe and the world but killed over 40% of people living in Europe, there was a labour shortage. And a labour shortage meant that people were able to form guilds, precursors to trade unions. It meant they were able to agitate for better wages and conditions. It meant that the feudal overlords' power was diminished because ultimately, mechanisation or no mechanisation, we still need labour in order to create profit. Whether it's intellectual labour or physical labour, it's still labour, especially if you're a wage earner. So what do we have in common? A labour shortage. And how does the present government and opposition want to overcome that labour shortage by reopening the borders, restarting Australia's Ponzi migration scheme, which is based on the concept of the more people we have here, the more goods and services are required, the greater the profits for the private sector. No wonder we have had an immigration scheme which is based on attracting people with skills. Not a migration scheme which is based on providing refuge to people fleeing persecution or seeking asylum. But a migration scheme based on stealing people with uh, skills from other nations, mainly developing nations in the last uh, 20 years, and building up this country's economy through migration, not through innovation, not through manufacturing, not through, uh, you know, using people's uh, labour. And for far too long, and we continue to see it, we have seen the post-secondary college uh, education, whether it's in a university or in the skills sector, in the TAFE sector, being utterly ignored and privatised by successive federal governments because we have embarked on a policy of not, that's right, not training our own people to provide the skills and services and for far too long we have relied on a migration system to bring skilled people to this country because we cannot be bothered, cannot be bothered as a society to train people. I'll give you an example. This is a very, this is a personal example, all right? When I graduated from uh, the 
Queensland University in as a doctor in 1975. That's right, almost five decades ago. The Queensland population was about 2 million and around 170 of us graduated at the end of a six-year training program. About 10 years ago, no, I think it was about five years ago, we had the ridiculous situation where Queensland's population had doubled to 4 million and the number of doctors who'd graduated was down to 100 because the state realised it was much cheaper to bring across a trained doctor from overseas, possibly a developing nation, than actually training people here. And this goes for every field of human endeavour in this country. For far too long, we have relied on migration to fill skilled vacancies for far too long and we're seeing the same cry go out that we need more migrants, more skilled workers because we cannot provide the skilled labour necessary to keep this country functioning. What a load of garbage. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. That's right, T-O-S-C-A-N-O. I'm hosting The Anarchist World this week. The Anarchist World this week is coming to you from the studios of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne through the Community Radio Network across the country and around the world via, the commu- by, by, uh, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Contact points, well, you can go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscan, you, uh, you can go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, Anarchist Media Institute, uh, phone number if you wish to, um, you know, have a decent conversation, 0439 395 489. If you want to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, we need another nine, we need another 98 members before we can apply for... Um, Registration as a federal political party and as the election looms on the horizon, we need them very quickly. You can uh, download an application form from pipcpibci.net. Don't have access to a computer, you can always leave a message on 0439395489 and I'll send you out some application forms. And if you still like to write, you can always send a message to, well, send a letter to Post Office Box 20. Parkville 3052. That's Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Now, I don't normally do much analysis of what's happening overseas, but uh, obviously the uh, flare-up in Palestine highlights the continuing issues and the tinderbox nature of that part of the world. What can you say? What can you say? Look, I'm not religious. I'm an atheist, all right? I make no apologies. That's what I am. But I do understand people's religious sensibilities. Now, even an idiot like me understands that the Alaska Mosque in Jerusalem is the third 
most holy Islamic site outside of Mecca. Tabi Israeli police injuring hundreds of people outside the mosque on the holiest period in the Islamic calendar, Ramadan, with Id occurring on the 13th of May, which is uh, in 24 hours, really is a little bit silly. Because if you really want to rile up the Islamic world, and especially people in Palestine, this is what you do. Now, not all Palestinians are Muslims. Many Palestinians are Christians, and others are atheists. But to be a Palestinian is to be a refugee in your own land. And to see the type of uh, reaction that has occurred in Palestine as we speak, which will escalate over the next few days, highlights there is no military solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. There is no military solution. And when you see the Israeli authorities, the conservative Israeli authorities, being involved in what's basically can only be described of ethnic cleansing in East Jerusalem and the Palestinian territories and the lockdown of over 2.5 million people in the Gaza Strip in the world's largest prison, you can see that there is no military solution. Now, the Israeli people have had four opportunities. They've had four general elections, I think, in the last 12 months, and they still can't make up their minds what they want to do. Because you cannot continue indefinitely to use force to resolve what is a political problem. Now, what I say doesn't really matter, but I think the more people understand what's happening in this little corner of the world and the fact that it could have a devastating effect on the rest of the world, I think it's important that uh, we remember that the Israeli state was built on the removal of people who had lived there for hundreds if not thousands of years. Now, just to give you an analogy... And this is what, I mean, a lot of people think this is a bit crazy, but sometimes you have to use analogies that are a little bit off the planet. Now, for example, okay, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had lived on the continent here for 60,000 years, okay? Then people like you and me turned up, or our forebearers turned up, and uh, we uh, forcefully evicted these people, okay? Go away, go away, it's our land now. God gave it to us. Well, no, the sword gave it to us, all right? Now, this is what happened to the uh, the people in Judea when they rose up against the Romans on two occasions. And the Romans were particularly brutal colonisers. On the second occasion, they basically cleared the land of many of the original inhabitants, although they'd been there for hundreds of years. Now, these original, the descendants of these original inhabitants came back 2,000 years later and said, we want our land back. It's a little bit like us clearing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders from the Australian scene and then saying, they come back 2,000 years later and say, we want our land back. If you look at it in that situation, you begin to understand the issues in that part of the world. 
listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. As I said before, I mean, there's different ways of looking at things. Now, did you know, now this is, sometimes you learn something, even at my late age, you learn something which really floors you. As I said before, the, the, the federal government usually has about a trillion dollars to, de- you know, to dish around with, you know, to give away and do this and do that and give away to the corporate sector in this corporate wonderland period. But did you know that $8 billion per year are used to incarcerate Indigenous Australians. That's almost a cent in a dollar. So all that money that comes in taxation revenue at the state and federal level, $8 billion is used to incarcerate Indigenous Australians. And if you're looking at the legislation which is going through the Northern Territory Parliament, that's Australian Labor Party legislation regarding, you know, jailing more and more and younger and younger Indigenous uh, Northern Territorians, you understand what a waste of money this is. Most Indigenous people who are incarcerated are incarcerated for victimless crimes. Property, destruction, theft, unruly behaviour, drug and alcohol offences. And we incarcerate. I'll give you an example. Willie Rioli, a uh, West Coast or an Eagles player, lives in the Northern Territory and he had a bit of a drug problem and he was picked up. Now this, you'll have to laugh about this. He was picked up with 25 grams of marijuana in his pocket. 25 grams. And he's facing major criminal charges. $8 billion a year to incarcerate Indigenous Australians. Now, let's say we used $6 billion of that for diversion programs. Maybe the benefit to the community as a whole and to the Indigenous community would be much, much, much greater than incarcerating people. It's a little bit like the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. You can try to bomb them out of existence, but it's not going to even it's not going to even get to first base regarding solving the problem. $8 billion per year. Extraordinary. What could you do? I mean, just let's remember, the government has just given $2.3 billion over four years uh, to provide uh, improved mental health services. That's the federal government. That's $2.3 billion. $8 billion per year to incarcerate Indigenous Australians. Extraordinary. Extraordinary sum. And what do you get, for, what bang do you get for your buck, for your $8 billion? More incarceration, more deaths in custody, more problems that the incarceration causes, not just to the person who's been incarcerated, but to their extended families and friends.
think about it. Let's move on. Now, Mr Modi could do no wrong on the Indian subcontinent. He was the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister who took India on a wonderful journey that we've experienced over the last four decades. Deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation to such an extent that he had millions of farmers out on the streets because they were concerned their livelihoods were going to be crushed by corporate agriculture. Now, Mr Modi, the Prime Minister of India, who was elected and re-elected by the people of India on a platform of Hindu nationalism, here we have another religious fanatic, like the Israeli Prime Minister, like the, uh, you know, the Ayatollah in Iran. You've got all these religious fanatics in charge of millions of people, tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, introducing legislation through the Indian Parliament to marginalise anybody who's not Hindu, jumping up and down about the great Hindu festival, saying people should come in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic. The man who loves to have his picture taken more than Mr Morrison ever has his picture taken. The man who loves to speak to the big crowds in West Bengal where he told us all he was going to win that election, which he lost. He's gone into hiding. He's disappeared. People can't find him. In the midst of the one of the most major one of the India's major crises, the pandemic sweeping across India, deaths are not recorded. Number of people catching COVID nineteen increasing exponentially. Mr. Modi, people begging for oxygen dying in side streets, dying in car parks because they can't access medical care, they can't access oxygen. The courts ordering the federal government to provide oxygen to New Delhi and other areas. What did Mr Modi do with India's public health system? What did he do? What did he succeed in doing which Mr Abbott our former Prime Minister couldn't do because of groups like Defend and Extend Medicare, which I was the co-convener of in 2004, he succeeded in privatising and corporatizing the Indian health care system. India only spends 1.25% of GDP gross domestic product on a public health care system. So Mr Modi, the man who rode to power and his Hindu nationalist party that rode to power on the back of religious bigots, now hides in a corner because he doesn't know what to do because he can't do anything because of the privatisation and corporatisation of the Indian public health system. Let's link this to Australia in 2020 and 2021. Why did we succeed where other people didn't succeed? 
And we succeeded because we have a universal health care system, which I and many tens of thousands of Australians have fought for and continue to fight for for decades. The much maligned Whitlam-led Labor government introduced Medibank, which was the forerunner of Medicare, a universal health care system and irrespective of the shortcomings in our public health system because of lack of finances, lack of resources, lack of staff, it is a platinum system in comparison to what's left of the public health system in India, which has been d- destroyed by the Modi-led government who are now paying the price for their privatisation, corporatisation agenda. And it was the same in the United States of America. It's the fact that we have a universal healthcare system where if you get knocked over by a car or catch COVID-19 and you can get to a public hospital you will receive the best treatment available. Not because of the number of pennies and dollars in your pocket, but because of actions and political campaigns and legislation which created a universal health care system, which created a public health system. Now, we saw the shortcomings in our own public health system in the last two years when we saw the social and preventative aspect of healthcare being privatised, removed from the statute books of state governments across this country. And we saw them scrambling and continue to scrambling in an attempt to, you know, deal with the pandemic, especially in Victoria. And it was due to the fact there was no strong public, social and preventative health care system. It had been abolished in Victoria because they forgot the most important lesson of public health and the most important lesson of public health is to have measures in place to deal with mass emergencies. Measures in place. I mean, the Victorian Health Department basically outsourced everything. As we've just seen in the Budget 2021, the corporate wonderland budget, the corporate wonderland budget, we have seen the outsourcing of the government's responsibility to its citizens and residents to the private sector. So if you like to think of the situation in India as uh, the inability of the Indian people to deal with COVID-19, well, ultimately... It was a political decision to privatise and corporatise a public health system. Why do you think the Chinese government was able to contain COVID-19? Because they've got a strong public health system. Why do you think we were able to contain COVID-19 in this country to such a degree? And deal with it in the outbreaks? Because we have had a strong public health health system and any government that goes down the deregulation privatisation, corporatisation globalisation superhighway will ultimately find itself in a situation where it can't provide the basic services to its citizens 
So what is the lesson of history? The lesson of history is very simple. History is simple. It is not complex. It's not about remembering the names of kings and queens and invaders and butchers. It's about remembering major social and political innovations which occurred, which improved the lives of tens of millions of people. In the 19th century, before 1846, the era of revolutions, in the 19th century and the 18th century, it was all about the private sector. It was all about the amount of pennies jingling in your pocket about what services you could aspire to. If you didn't have enough pennies jingling in your pocket, you could be sent to work as a four-year-old sweeping chimneys or digging in a mine or working in the the satanic mills of the, the Industrial Revolution in the 1830s. And it was people struggling which forced the state to change its trajectory The state was created first and foremost to protect the interests of those that exercise power, whether they believe they exercise that power through the will of God, you know, the royal imperative, or through force. That's what the state was about. It was about ensuring that those who exercise power continue to exercise power by holding a monopoly on the use of force in that society. And the era of revolutions caused the state to change its trajectory and begin to provide services to people, to provide services to the people they rule, to provide a safety net if people are unemployed or sick, to provide universal education, public education, to provide universal public health care to provide universal support. But no, we weren't happy with that. We fought, our leaders fought. We need to go down a new pathway. We need to give the private sector a clear run to the bank. We need to remove regulations which protect us and the environment so they can increase their profits. We need to allow them to form large corporations which dominate economic activity and squeeze out smaller players. We need to open our borders to international trade. We need to give away all the institutions which were created by the blood, sweat and tears of our parents and grandparents and great grandparents through struggle to provide us the services we currently enjoy in this country, to increase profits for a minority. We need to change legislation in this country which rewards people who have money, which gives public money to the private sector, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, whether it's the mining sector. Think about it. That's what's happened and that's what's continuing to happen through this 2021 corporate wonderland Frydenberg budget. And lastly, I'd like to talk about the biggest 
con of all. The biggest con of all. I see Mr. Frydenberg and Mr. Morrison have a nice, you know, smile on their face when they talk about increasing iron ore profits, about the taxation revenue which is coming through, increased profitability of companies and corporations and individuals which dominate iron ore extraction in this country. And I pull my hair out and I fall on the ground and I just cannot believe it. I cannot believe the situation we find ourselves in in 2021. Over a million children living in poverty, over 3.3 million Australians living in poverty. People indebted up to their necks to keep a roof over their head for decades. People working in part-time, insecure, non-unionised jobs to pay their bills. People been forced to attend underfunded, under-resourced public education sector and a public health sector. I pull my hair and I think, we live on a continent. Not that I have much hair left, but we live on a continent. 25, what, 0.2 million people living on a continent. Irrespective of what you think about uranium and coal and iron ore and bauxite and diamonds and gold and copper, and lithium, and rare metals. We live on a continent that has tons of this stuff. But what have we done? What have we done? We have given these resources to our cartel, a small, a handful of private corporations, some based in Australia, some based overseas, to exploit these resources. That's right. Like the gas fiasco, where there's not enough gas locally, although they were the biggest exporter of gas in the world, where the companies which are involved in you know, uh, arranging this export trade well, won't be paying any taxes for 30 years, 30 plus years, where we give money to these organisations to help them with their fuel subsidies, and the list goes on and on where we bend the rules to allow them to develop uh, resources on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land, which people, you know, want a little bit of, you know, support for. So here we have this resource-rich country. We should be able to afford a universal basic income. We should be able to have the best resourced public education sector in the world. We should have the best social security system in the world. We should have the best public health system in the world. But no, we have allowed individuals to make $15,000 a second profit from having a monopoly on the exploitation of resources which belong to this country. No future fund. We have a future fund which has minimal money in comparison to Norway, where they kept their resources and just allowed people to exploit them and paid them a, a bit. We go the other way. We get a bit back. We get a bit back and we're happy. Extraordinary. As I said before, more of the same or you can do something about it. I mean, I can talk till the cows come home and the cows won't be coming home because we're in the middle of Melbourne. But the reality is... That unless we have control over this country's resources, 
we'll continue to be dogged with the problems we face. So if you're interested in putting the interests of the many, that's the public, before the interests of the few, of the few that's the investment classes, well then I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests. We need to change the nature of the debate in this country. It's not a debate about who should get what, what corporation should get taxpayers' money to provide inadequate, inefficient services. It's about the public having the resources to deal with the issues which confront us as individuals, as families, as communities, as a nation. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is uh, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is broadcast in every state and territory in this country. If you're listening to this program for the first time on a local community radio station and your local community radio station doesn't broadcast The Anarchist World this week, I encourage you to contact the Community Radio Network and ask them to contact your local radio station, see if they're part of the community radio network and get them to uh, broadcast the Anarchist World this week. Unfortunately, in life, unless we think outside the box, unless we refuse to work up the right channels, unless we put forward uh, ideas that are different, nothing will ever change. If you want to join public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net, download the application form, or you can ring me on 0439 395 489 or write letters to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Go to the Anarchist Media Institute, anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, Public Housing Everybody's Business, Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Facebook page. You can go to Instagram, you can go to YouTube, pipsy underscore AU, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, YouTube. It goes on and on. But ultimately, change doesn't occur because, you know, I broadcast and change occurs because you're willing to take that step and become part of that movement to make fundamental, radical changes in our society. If you want more of the same, keep watching Fox News. If you want something different, stop listening to the Anarchist World this week and get out there and start becoming active. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week on your local community radio station courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscana. I've been hosting this program, as I said, via the Community Radio Network to your local community radio station. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.